0: Hey there listeners of Illusion, just a quick note before we start the episode to let you know that I had some microphone problems with this episode, so there's a little bit of crackling on the track. Carry on. Welcome listeners of allusion to the final episode of Series 3 of Temporal Discussion, the episode-by-episode nightmare retrospective podcast. I'm Martin Harder, and you, of course, are now in my debt. But then again, who is not?
1: And I'm Martin O'Donnelly, and I'm definitely not in his debt. <laughs> for reasons I'm not going to go into.
0: Let's lift the curtain. This is the second time we've recorded this today because I forgot to press record and I forgot
1: to give Mr. O'Doni permission to record. In many ways, it's as much my fault as his. I'm not sure what those ways are, but <laughs> <laughs> today we're looking at Series Three, Episode
0: Sixteen. It was the last episode of the series and was broadcast on December the twenty-second, nineteen eighty-nine. Most of us of a certain age will already remember what the number one single was but for our younger listeners or those with a hazy memory it was Do They Know It's Christmas by Band-Aid 2
1: It's rather the same as the first one from five years earlier, really, isn't it? Yeah, they kind of blend into one for me. I suppose because it's a good cause, you have to just let it go. But you do feel a little bit like if you got the copy of the original, you're rebuying the same product. But at least it's a lot better than the remake from 2004. The number one movie
0: was Back to the Future Part 2 enjoying its final week at number one.
1: The news this week the Romanian revolution continued as communist dictator Nicolae Ceausescu was forced to flee by Dauphin helicopter after tens of thousands of protesters took to the streets of Bucharest essentially trapping him in Palace Square including Ceausescu uh, six of the passengers were crammed into a helicopter built for just four and he was taken to the presidential suites in Snagov where he ordered his personal pilot the Colonel Vasily Malutan to arrange two helicopters filled with soldiers to be used as an armed guard, and another Delfan to come to Snagoth. However, when Malutan spoke to his unit commander on the phone, he was told, there's been a revolution, you're on your own. Uh, Ceausescu and Frevas then left in the uh, helicopter for Titu. They were forced to land in the field outside the town's borders, though, after the pilot received the National Flight Command's denial and was warned that they would be shot down, Um, which is, of course, saying no to somebody in a very, very, very strongly worded fashion. The party then flagged down cars to take them to a hiding place. Uh, one driver they flagged down, a bicycle repairman! What <laughs> the name of... <laughs> Well, the name oh, of Nikolai This is why the people <laughs> in that Monty Python <laughs> universe, think bicycle repairmen, are heroes because they come along and save communist dictators from being shot by their own people temporarily.
0: Well, or uh, did he? Or did he take him to a place where he was then imprisoned
1: and? <laughs> well, someone said that was still heroic. Well, yeah, uh, he told them that he only hide bicycle the
0: repairman is... was here.
1: Yeah, <laughs> precisely. Bicycle repairman told them in his deep masculine (laughs) tones that like a like an idle like cultural technical institute or bicycle repair shop as they're normally called. On their arrival, the site's director guided them into a room and then locked the door firmly behind them. At this point, they were arrested and then transported to a local military compound where they were held captive until their trial. Ceaușescu was later executed. So actually
0: quite serious, even though we are laughing. People did die. I mean, it was a revolution after all.
1: I do have a friend from Romania called Mara, and she insists that Ceaușescu could be rough, but his leadership really wasn't that bad to live under. There's one of those ones where you may not get much freedom, but it has to be said. People were always always. provided for. There was always a minimum standard of living that um, suddenly was taken away from everybody after he was gone. She felt that switching to capitalism ruined all the safety nets the country had. And in many ways, it turned the country into a bit of a cash cow for the European Mm. Union. So maybe this isn't such a happy story now. This wasn't the only revolution happening that week. It was 1989 after all. It was the biggest year for revolutions since about 1847.
0: It was. And in Berlin, the Brandenburg Gate was reopened after almost 30 years, effectively ending the division between East and West Germany
1: for good. Well, more between East and West Berlin, perhaps, and East and West Germany. Yeah. Um we again yeah, we're selling the um the reunification of Germany um is seen. Anyway, many ways, there's a similar um, word of warning to this as there is with, with the Romanian Revolution. Many people think of the reunification of Germany as a, as a wonderful moment, but you could be surprised that some of the people who weren't happy.
0: Yeah, the neo-Nazis, for one.
1: Yeah, they weren't great about it. The ones who really couldn't sell it, though, were, believe it or not, the likes of Margaret Thatcher. She was warning very strongly against not allowing uh, East and West Germany to reunify. Um, she, she was terrified of it.
0: You know, 80s conservative, neo-Nazi, potato-potato.
1: The people like Thatcher did know that's a singular Germany right at the centre of the European Union that was about to be formed in 1992, so only a couple of years off of that, would inevitably become immensely strong. You add in the issue that there's um, a large undercurrent of neo-Nazism, as you mentioned in the Eastern Germany and reunification has never really brought um, Eastern Germany up to the same level as former West Germany. There is the potential for trouble there. My feeling about it for itself is that Thatcher was probably more concerned about that than most people because she still had bitter memories of the Second World War but uh, there was a point of a kind in there. For the most part I don't think it's a particularly major danger of Germany turning fascist again I think there's more danger at the moment of us turning fascist.
0: And on that happy note time turns the recording light burns, timeout is gone, the podcast is on. Ah, there you are. You're late, and we must hurry. For the
2: year is also late, and so is the greater game of luck and glory. Quick to the crystal, for time out is almost gone, and soon the game will be on. Look, is this the final challenge of this phase? Watch now and learn. Eleven teams have failed to win ere since the dungeon challenged them. For Martin's gritty lads from York fell silent when Morgana talked. And now from Bristol come four more, the latest to brave the dungeon door. The twelfth they are, perhaps the last, for soon adventure time is past. Already they have made a pact with Hortus, which is scarcely apt. So, can they conquer all and win? now let the dungeon game begin
1: and this is the last time we will ever hear that title music over here it's also rather a special moment because it's the very last of the dungeon ditties as well and it's not a very good one especially for this special occasion They've made it as bad as ever.
0: You said before that you thought it was the worst or one of the worst.
1: I disagree. I mean, it's bad. Mm, you talked me around a little bit, didn't you? Um, I still think it's pretty abysmal, but I was going to give it two out of ten. After your defence, oh, "Maybe I'm being a bit rough." Um, I've, I've raised it to four out of ten.
0: Yeah, it is bad. Yeah, it starts off with "win" and "them." For a start,
1: they're not even trying to hide the fact that they're not rhyming. That like no, are they?
0: York and Tort at least sounds like they're trying to rhyme, even if they're not quite making it. More and door, last and past, both okay, but quite easy. Packed and apt. You say this doesn't rhyme?
1: It doesn't rhyme. No, it, it's a virtual rhyme because it got the same last letter, mm. but it, it's um, the whole of the last syllable has to has to be phonetically similar to make it work, and, it, and it's not.
0: You wouldn't say it was close enough. No. Okay. Win and begin.
1: Well, I mean, they must have used that one at least twenty times. So yeah, it's it's a rhyme. We 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 have to give it that. A bit tired, isn't it?
0: And that's it for the Dungeon Ditties. I have to admit, I will miss talking about them. Yeah. It's not just because we get to hear the music in the background again. It is for me. I've genuinely enjoyed looking at them and picking them apart with you. And I think it's a shame that we're not going to get to do that anymore.
1: I agree, especially as we're placing it with pickle reading out loud from a book, which isn't very exciting, is it?
0: There is a
1: small trinket inconveniently placed in this
3: level which one desires. You will have no trouble recognising it. It is a simple hourglass agree to collect it for one and one will advance
1: the offer of magic aid pick up where we left off basically with christopher and his team advisors james alex and tim from bristol our gallant heroes agreeing to carry out a task for hordress and, uh, as, as we mentioned before this is a. Uh, an early prototype for the subquest that will be introduced in the next series. I think they have chosen a wiser location for doing business like this in season four that we got here. A ledge over a gigantic drop does seem rather a threatening place uh, to strike a bargain. Uh, Do you agree to my bargain? No? Oh, really? Shove. <laughs> they really are very much being browbeaten in the position they're currently in. Do you agree?
4: James? Agree. I agree. You do.
1: Yes. Very
3: well. My gift to you is called speed. Make sure that you keep your side of the bargain. I will. Yes. Now, you may proceed.
4: Where am I?
5: You're in a room that it's It's um, vaulted with wooden planks there's a um, cauldron bubbling in the middle with a fire um, glowing beneath it. To the right of that, there's a small stool or table with something on it.
0: This is an interesting one, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it's a weird one. We've got issues with it, shall we say. Yes. We saw a number of um, chambers from Season 2 revived in the last episode, and this seems to be the latest in that trend. Chris is basically in what was Mildred's old hovel. Mildred, of course, is no longer around, so the, the chamber's empty. But the cauldron is still here, or at least a cauldron. But it looks different. It looks much more cylindrical and therefore much more strongly resembles a wellway.
0: It's also very smooth. I don't like it.
1: Yes, yeah, it's, it's an uncomfortably smooth cauldron, rather featureless. Um, and the steam coming out of the top of it, um, it's animated mm. and looks like it's been animated. When there was steam or smoke in the first season, as far as we could tell, they actually used real smoke. Um, I think it was sort of, it was overlaid on. You think it was actually used on site, but either way, it looked better than this does.
0: I think they probably used the blue whale well way. It had someone in there with like a beekeeper's smoker or something like that.
1: Could be, yeah, that's possible. But it, that always looked better and more convincing because the, the smoke was moving moving around at random, whereas this smoke, it's basically two or three movements and then you're back to the first one again. I'm just not sure why they bothered making amendments to this chamber if they were only going to use it this once and they don't make it more convincing than it was a year earlier rather than that's convincing. Wouldn't the scene have been more interesting if they'd had Mrs Grimwald appear in it rather than nobody?
0: Yeah, it would have made more sense uh, for it to become Grimwald's uh, domain.
1: Yeah. So to speak, Grimwald's home. Plus... Who's left the cauldron cooking like that unguarded? I think the highest um, problem we got with this scene um, that you pointed out before was there's just no reason for this scene to be in the episode. Yeah. Nothing that happens in here has any kind of consequence.
0: So what happens is that there's uh, there's a small table with some herbs on it and uh, Chris suggested they put the herbs in the cauldron. Cauldron? Chris suggests they put the herbs in the cauldron and after a very short discussion, the team agree. He places them in. And then a couple of hauntings come out and then he goes
1: it doesn't really seem to contribute anything to the ongoing narrative at all it's okay to have these sorts of scenes earlier in the season perhaps this is the final episode of the season time is getting on you can't really afford to waste it on something that really isn't advancing the quest.
0: It does look quite cool, the hauntings coming out of the cauldron, but that's it.
1: You don't want things in there just because they look cool, especially when, as I say, when you're this late in the season you're trying to fit one last question to the proceedings. You want things to be a bit more consequential at this point.
0: My theory is that the, maybe the episode was running short and they threw this in rather than elongating another dwarf tunnel. And let's face it, Putting in a pointless scene is still better than just making the dwarf tunnels longer. I agree with that, yeah.
5: Okay, what's on the table?
2: Some herbs. Many actions are possible in the dungeon, many more are plausible, but what's unforgivable is inaction and indecision.
1: Don't waste time,
2: team, you've a long way to go.
1: Chris makes the decision to put the herbs in, but. Treyguard is once again pushing for this to happen. A little bit at first. Yes, again, he's guilty of encouraging the team to get themselves into trouble, and then he's the one telling them, "Look, I think maybe we should leave just for once." Treyguard, could you try apologising for getting the team in a bind?
4: Try placing the. Her- should we try placing the herbs in the cauldron? Mm. Is there anything on the herbs? Any waiting? Yeah, just the sign saying herbs. Um.
5: Okay. go. Try- that would be best. There's yeah. nothing else you can do. OK, mm-hmm. try putting the herbs in the cauldron. I
2: Could, think it might be time to leave.
5: Chris, quick, turn right. Walk, walk forwards. Keep going. Stop. Side steps to your left. Forwards. Run. Where am I? you're in a room with two doors on either side a table is in front of you and slightly to your left.
1: Chris leaves after a very 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 undramatic uh, chase out of the room by the uh, by the skull hauntings and arrive in Brangwen's clue room and this is sadly the last ever appearance of either of the old style clue rooms as well as Brangwen's Bow-Out, and it is also, it sounds like me to say, uh, the bow out uh, last ever seen of my old friend Natasha Pope. It's actually not a very good send-off for her, I have to say. I was us that the scene is entertaining. It actually becomes rather risible, um, and that's the problem. It's another riddle contest, but it gets a little bit silly.
5: Can you see the table? Yes, I can. Right, go around to the back of the table.
0: So on the table today are an hourglass, a ruby, a bone and a pie. And of course Chris picks up the pie and is about to put it in his knapsack then.
5: Hold, stand still or I grip you. No one robs the Brangwen she with impunity. Turn intruder. Face me and please me three times with truth or perish Turn
1: right
5: man, Chris. Here is my first.
1: We get a decent first riddle. I think the first is decent. You, you, you got some issues over the fact that the team used a clue for it. But I still think it's a pretty solid riddle. He is the messenger of the gods and the measure of temperature. Name yeah. him. The answer is Mercury, closest planet to the sun. And um God gives this rather neat little clue, which is Hugo has told us it was totally improvised. Nobody gave him the clues to pass on to them. He comes up with saying it's also known as quicksilver. And they say Mercury. So truth accepted. It's okay at this point. Then the riddles take a very very infantile turn, and the problem is the War Monster is talking in this really ferocious, menacing snarl as it's reading out nursery rhymes. <laughs> and the effect is inadvertently bloody hilarious. The second riddle is, if one, two is buckle my shoe, well, tell me then what's nine and
0: ten? I was really hoping they were going to say never sleep
1: again. The answer, and this is the problem, they don't give the answer, so poor old Natasha has to give the answer while pretending to be incredibly ferocious. <laughs> <laughs> and so she has to say, Big fat hen. <laughs> and I can't help sniggering at the really angry tone that you, <laughs> you say something else. You're almost expecting the team to sort of, t- sort of bristle at that and say, look, okay, we got the riddle wrong. We're not that dumb, all right? Yeah.
0: That's our episode title right there, Big Fat
1: Hen. And the next one <laughs> makes it even worse. Yeah. Little Jack Horner sat in a corner while Bo it was who counted sheep. Little Miss Muffet that's perched on her tuffet. How can you read this out loud in a war monster's voice? Who was it who told us it was time to go to sleep? This is so kiddified. And it just sounds completely ridiculous coming from a war monster. I can't picture Olgarf or, or Igneous uh, being able to read this out. But no. The only woman so I can possibly vaguely imagine reading this out um, and not sounding completely ridiculous would be Golgarak. It, it just makes Brangwen sound uh, really twee.
0: But I'd love to hear Golgarak say wee willy winkle. <laughs> wee willy winkle.
1: No. <laughs> <laughs> so, um... They actually get the answer wrong but they get away with it. And unfortunately, by getting the answer wrong, they then add to the indignity of the scene because they universally trigger the Dublon-Pondre alarm. Yes. The answer should be, we, Willy, Winky. Um, Unfortunately, they say, we, Willy, Winkle, (laughs) um, and therefore are implying something else. What they're essentially saying is, small penis, penis. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> if that's the problem that we we willy really, um can of course mean that as well. And when you then yeah. undermine it with winkle, you you're basically saying it's definitely, definitely not anything <laughs> else.
4: Is it we willy winkle? True accepted
1: two was the score and the team somehow learned that their quest is for the shield. The problem is after you've had all of that gibberish with we willy winkle uh and big fat hen, anything that comes after it is automatically gonna sound completely ridiculous. And some Somehow, the quest is for the shield and the first step is the archer. In the Conlight of Day, it doesn't sound remotely silly, but you just find yourself snickering at the sound of it. And then finally, Brangwen disappears, and that's it for Natasha Pope on Nightmare, and the team take the hourglass and the bone before using the door on the right. Um, uh, but at this point, nobody cares. They obviously know that they have to take the hourglass. I would take the bone just because
0: it's the most unusual item there.
5: Okay, Chris. You're walking down a corridor with doors on each side.
2: Don't pause, Chris, and don't look back. I think there's something behind you.
5: Okay, Chris. There's a big man with it's um, of like a sort of fur shawl coming up from behind you. It doesn't look too friendly either.
0: Chris is being followed through the dwarf tunnel by Mr. Grimwald. And in order to escape the ogre, the team decide to fast forward the footage.
5: Spellcasting S P E E D.
1: I do despise that speed up the video excuse for special effects.
0: It's so wonderfully awful, isn't it?
1: It is. They use it in season four as well, and it just looks silly. Mm. It would actually work okay if they kept the image of the Dungeoneer moving at normal speed, but sped up um, the corridor around it.
0: It would make it look like they were making gigantic strides through the corridor.
1: Yeah, exactly. That would be just about workable.
4: Where am I?
5: You're in a canyon with rocks on each side. And there's a path leading through the canyon. And there's two figures at the end. And I think there's... like Well
2: done, team. You seem to have escaped the ogre. Onward now, but keep to the path, whatever you do.
0: Chris escapes into the Vale of
1: Bamburn. He does indeed escape into the Vale of Bamburn. And this is the last time we'll be able to have this argument. Yeah, that's why I'm making the most of it. I'd already actually agreed that it probably is Bamburn, <laughs> but I'm just just for the sake of nostalgia, I'm, I'm saying saying Burn again.
0: <laughs> Keep calm and say Vanburn.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's, that's one, yeah, that's that's another one I might do. The
0: two figures at the end of the valley disappear around the corner and the team guide chris down the path.
1: Not sure who the two figures are. They're so distant. It, it could almost be... You know, it has occurred to me at more than one occasion watching it that it could be a sort of early appearance of Sidrus, Cordris's daughter, who uh, doesn't actually arrive until season six. One of them appears to be a goblin circling around the robed person, probably trying to attack or steal from or something. Um, The other person may be holdress. Although why he runs away from a mere goblin, I've no idea. So it might just be a maiden in distress of some kind, but she seems to run away through the right exits of the veil, and the goblin pursues. So When Chris
0: reaches the halfway point and the angle changes, we can see a cave. You say that it's always been there, but I've never noticed it before.
1: Well, it's because nobody bothers to draw any attention to it. It's like the, the level three clue room. You've got that little flight of stairs and, and, and an extra exit at one side. You appear at the top of one flight of stairs and there's another one at the other. There's two more, and whatever a team considers going up the steps, Treg always have said, No, no, you've got to go downwards. The only way is onwards, so go downwards, go downwards. There are some exits that just never meant to be used. This was one of them. It was treated as one that should never be used. As we see here, it might actually have been better for all the teams if they'd gone this way. There's a better way of getting through the veil. Beware,
2: Goblin Scouts. Hurry now.
5: Turn right. A little bit left.
2: Forwards. Stop. Turn left. Or forwards. Uh... Emergency! More goblins! You're trapped. Chris's only escape is through that cave behind him.
1: Two more goblins suddenly appear out of nowhere at the top of the path, and the other two others are behind them. So Chris is ambushed, and so the team use the cave behind to make their escape.
5: Where am I? You in a car door? Um, just oh, I'll explain later. There's a sprig of energy. Go forwards.
1: They wind up in, for the very last time, the Corridor of the Catacombs.
0: Trigger talks it up, but it just staying at the stop And yes, that was a virtual ride
1: This is the final appearance of the Corridor of the catacombs.
0: Yes, very sad. It's chamber which, despite us making fun of it regularly, has grown to become one of my favourites over the last couple of years. It's never used in a particularly great way, apart from when it has the skull coming up from under the floor, but it is very much a staple of classic nightmare. It's one of the first things you think of when you think of old nightmare. It
1: is something that the quest almost always built around, so it has to be treated as a classic chamber simply because of how much it's used more than for what it actually is or for what fret it poses. In many ways, the way it's used here kind of sums it up. What Chris does is he emerges from the door on the near left side of the corridor, which is actually kind of unusual. Some goblins further up the corridor, clearly not really there, they're like superimposed again. Uh, and a sprig of energy directly in front of him and another door about two yards beyond that so he grabs the energy and in the same stride he carries straight on towards the opposite door and he's back in the veil.
4: Where am I?
5: You're in a cave um, which has a waterfall running down one side and in the middle of the cave there's. The man with the white
1: beard. The third stage of the veil, at the top of the veil. Weirdly, he emerges from the right-hand cave, so he's come out of the door that the figure in the robes of the goblin left through a moment ago, but he hasn't bumped into them. Nothing to do with continuity errors or anything like that.
0: I still reckon it shows that the doorways are more portals than actual doors.
1: Well, that's always going to be the excuse, isn't it? I well, to be honest that there is something in that, because they've just gone through a cave that's on the left side of the veil, gone across straight straightforward to something which in the physical would therefore be even further to the left of the veil, and they've come out in the top right of the veil. So yeah, there is is something about that anyway. But what that should mean is that the goblin and the robed person should logically have come out at the cave halfway along the swamp.
0: Anyway, Hordris is here and waiting Chris's arrival.
3: Ah, yes. One is gratified to discover that in these modern times there are still. Some young people who know how to honor a bargain,
0: I thank you kindly. Hordress begins to leave as the goblins close in on Chris.
1: So as Hordress begins to leave, the goblins arrive from the cave and begin to close in on Chris.
0: Emergency! The goblins are upon Police. you! Silence
3: Dungeon Master! One hesitates to boast, but one is quite capable of coping with such minor blemishes. Scalabus! behest! (laughs) Most satisfying.
1: There's actually a rare interaction between the dungeon master and in-game character here, but I do love the Spock-like raised eyebrows from Traeguard, when he gets ordered (laughs) to be quiet in his own castle. (laughs) Up until this point, only Lilith or Mogdred have been able to say anything like that to him. Now Hordress is doing it as well. It's very, very undignified for Dreyguard.
0: I've decided I want to start a band called Scarabus
1: Behest as well. Holdress conjures up a sword haunting using the Scarabus Behest spell, and the goblins make a hasty retreat. If that figure, that rogue figure earlier, was him, this demonstrates there was no reason for him to run away. You
3: are, of course, in my debt. But then who is not? <laughs> oh... Yes, by the way, the second step is the swimmer.
1: Paul just bids farewell and exits through the cave from which Chris emerged, and team guide Chris to the opposite cave. It would have been polite to the team to say thank you at that moment, or at least goodbye.
4: Where am I?
5: You're in a room which we can't see all of, because there seems to be a wall which is split up into segments, and each segment has a letter on it.
2: Ah, one of Merlin's little obstacles, I suspect. Obviously an incantation is called for,
0: and as usual, the incantation is obvious. The layer of cards just about recognisable as it's playing host to the wall grid puzzle today. As before, the scene is divided into nine squares, the top middle square is walled up and has the letter D on it, the entire middle row is walled up and has the letters I, L and E respectively and on the bottom row the two corners are walled up with the letters H and S. After some time and a clue from Trayguard the team work out that it's anagram with the word Shield. Now I hold my hands up and admit it took me an embarrassingly long time to actually work this out.
1: Embarrassingly, yeah. Really yes. humiliatingly long time. They spell the word out, and as they do, the rest of the room is finally revealed.
0: S. Oh,
5: okay. okay. First spellcasting casting shield. Okay.
2: You've got one already.
5: H. H. I. E. Ooh. L. L. C. Right, Chris you what what's that done is it's revealed a massive pit in front of you so what a, a massive pit, pit with four doors on either on side them. of it round it mm-hmm. okay
1: never like the wall grid puzzles um, no they slowed down things down quite a bit for, for no good reason and they also used up a lot of the computers processing power I found there's a The letters could take a while to respond to the team calling them out. Well, to be fair, it wasn't too bad in this one. Also, um, once again, it's taken them a long time to figure out its shield that they're supposed to be doing. They've cleared the screen and they'll take a while to actually get moving as well. The team is okay. I've certainly seen worse, but they do waste a lot of time meandering and overthinking. I think they're what Folly would call stodgy Sids. Yes. Stodgy Sid just fought and fought, but action did not favour.
0: He went to the shop for hula hoots could only find some quavers. That
1: sounds like a better destiny than he deserved. That sounds like a better rhyme than it It does, yes.
4: Where am I?
5: You're in a room, there's a door to your right, a well in the room, and there's a witch.
2: Oh hello, dearie! Oh, he does look in a state, doesn't he? <laughs> Get back. Festus, Everybody else does. Yeah, that's right, Festus. Yeah. Yeah, shut up. <laughs> anyway, Dearie, you do not very intelligent, is my pet festus. He may have two heads, but he's only got one
5: brain <laughs> and that's no bigger than the
2: size
1: of a pea <laughs> I've just criticised them um, but they have in fact arrived at the Wellway to level two so you know give them a clap for that and now only one obstacle that stands between them and the Wellway. it's Mrs Grimwald and Festus
0: this scene has some interesting connotations that we will come to at the end of the scene
1: it's actually slightly poignant depending on how much you like Mrs Grimwald
0: slightly poignant and slightly dark even for Nightmare.
1: Yeah, the implications are pretty gloomy.
0: Mrs Grimwald tells Chris that he's going to have to buy some food off her if he wants to make it much further. Chris offers the bone, which he takes for Festus. She hands Chris the food, which gets knapsacked, and she tells him that the third step is the thrower. As Chris is guided into the well... Festus,
2: get back, you
5: stupid
2: dog! Chris, get back Chris. Forwards. Go, get back! Look, I know you did it, you stupid dog!
5: Stop, turn left, forwards. Stop. Can see, uh, climb into the well.
0: Apparently an entire series of mistreatment of her pet comes back to bite her quite literally and he can be heard to attack her. This is the character's final appearance leading to some 90s, us included, Theorizing that Festus actually kills and eats her.
1: Yes. Um, the ogre reappears in season four, albeit with a full head of hair, and young Grimwald appears in season six. So, the Grimwald story carries on, but Mrs. Jean no longer seems to be part of it, she never appears again. Yeah, it does seem very likely that she did, in fact, die at this point. A bit myopic of Festus, because now has nobody to feed him.
0: Maybe that's why we don't see Festus anymore.
1: I think it was the right time to get rid of her, even though she's only in for one season. She was quite an entertaining character, and very well played by Tom Carroll, but her uh, scenes with Festus are really starting to grate by this point. There's always at least three shouts of
3: SHUT UP
1: FESTUS! every time Festus is in the scene with her.
0: The joke was good at first but it did run its course and yes it, it was it was the right thing to get rid of her. I'm not sure it was intended to imply that Festus had killed her.
1: I think that they might very well have deliberately left it ambiguous Um, if Tom Carroll was available for another season. In all possibility they might have kept Mr. G on the cast for season four. But as far as I know he wasn't going to be available the following year.
0: I want to know what our listeners think is mrs grimwald dead or is she just on
1: holiday (laughs) or something she's on extended sick leave (laughs) she's pining for the fjords (laughs) i think she was a worthy successor to mildred but not as interesting as mildred that's unpredictable perhaps
0: i would have been interested in seeing some more interactions between mrs grimwald and other dungeon characters
1: that would have been more interesting yeah i I certainly think you you can see some potential with melisandra there were some interesting exchanges between mildred and uh Gretel, and I actually think they were probably the most interesting moments Gretel had. We actually saw Audrey Jacobs demonstrate that she actually does have range if somebody would just give her something different to do. Meanwhile,
0: Chris heads down the well into level two.
1: And that's the last we'll see of those particular brands of wellway. Although, that, as we said earlier, there are wellways still in season four, they look really quite different. Hey, Chris, you're in a room.
5: I'm S- um, standing on the first of three cogs, which are rotating. I go- OK.
2: Ah, these are the mills of doom. Watch your footing, Chris, and don't get into a spin.
1: They land, and uh, rather differently, they do not land on the Spin disease. The Spin disease is done for the year. It will be back in a very modified form in Season 4. But this is the Mills of Doom, which are getting one final outing.
0: Yeah, and that's a shame, because I like the Mills of Doom. I mean, I know they're not a particularly great timing puzzle, but they look
1: good. It looks quite threatening and, and relentless, because it's got the machinery mm. showing.
0: One thing I like about the Mills is that, unlike other chambers with big drops below them, you kind of get... The feel that it is a big drop yeah. in this one.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: The team deal with this simple timing puzzle really quite well, staying calm despite Chris's proximity to a rather malignant skull haunting. And they do the thing where, um, instead of waiting for the uh, teeth to meet, they kind of leap across the gap. Yeah. And that's a much more effective way of doing it.
1: It speeds things up, for one thing. We should check, in fact, but I think this may be the quickest ever Mills of Doom crossing. The one down thing about it is that um, they get away with a mistimed final step as they leave the chamber. And it's the one where they don't instruct Chris to leap this time. They just tell him to walk forward, and the cog tooth does seem to have turned beyond his path by the time he reaches the edge. But I'm also sure he's not the only dungeoner who's got away with that.
0: Yeah, in the next series, spoilers, we do get a dungeoner that very definitely falls off <laughs> the uh, place of
1: choice. <laughs> it's back on the spin dizzy as, yeah. as it becomes. Um, yeah, you, and, can hear, um, you can hear his foot hit the floor. Yeah, I think it's it'll probably be about episode...
4: Three of season four. Go. Where am
5: I? You're in a room. You've just come through the door. There's three windows to your left. Right in front of you, there's a massive open space which drops into nothingness. And on the other side of the room, there's a door and a chair on a rug.
2: Listen, all of you, you have reached a magic place. But to release that magic, you must take the appropriate
1: steps. Although it's only the second room of level two, they're already in Merlin's throne room.
0: Yeah, you do get the uh, impression that they're trying to get as much
1: in as they can. More precisely, they're actually trying to cut out as much as they can, so, you well, can, yeah, yeah, so I they mean... can get further into level two before they have to cut things off. Despite the, the short time in the dungeon, the team are making remarkably good progress, and it's clearly been engineered. With a bit of prompting from Treyguard, they need to take action. To be fair, Treyguard does that with almost every dungeon in. The team get crystal mine mime using a bow and arrow, and the first flagstone appears. And don't the team get get excited about it. Oh, they do. <laughs> okay, Chris. Pretend to fire an arrow. Yep. Yes. Chris, right, yes. you
5: can walk forward. Okay, Chris. Walk slowly
1: forwards. I almost expected to throw their arms in the air and do high fives with it. Yes! They're really thrilled to get a step puzzle right. Yeah. That's enthusiasm. You've got to admire them for that. What's less admirable is how they handled the second one.
5: Okay, okay Chris, Chris. Pretend you're swimming now. <laughs> 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 okay, Chris. <laughs>
1: The team told Chris to pretend he's swimming.
0: Because of just, like, waves his arms in the end. I would say it's more like he's drowning than yeah. swimming.
1: Uh, it's uh, aerobics for somebody who's had an arrow lodged in the small of their back. <laughs> or just uh, somebody who's trying to fetch something from a cupboard, which is a little bit too tall for them.
0: Have you seen the infomercial with
1: the woman trying to catch the uh, jar? <laughs> yes, remember, yeah, I'm not sure exactly who taught Chris how to swim, but this isn't really... Is he being attacked by mosquitoes, maybe? Yeah. I don't know.
0: That's going to be the thumbnail. Now the women got going
1: yeah, Most definitely.
0: Maybe one of those CGI <laughs> bats is flying across the back yeah. of bat
1: it away. Absolutely. That's what, this is what I'm thinking. You know, he, <laughs> I'm he does look like he's fighting off bats at one point. Stop, you poisonous pests. <laughs> Absolutely. So, uh, it works. I'm not sure it should have been allowed to, but it works. As the second flagstone appears. Chris pretends to be throwing something, as Mrs. G suggested a couple of rooms ago, and the bridge completes. And Chris walks onto the crystal emblem on the floor. And, of course, Merlin appears.
0: I think we actually established through our youth correspondent, Feather Menace, that it's not a crystal, it's actually a Roblox spawn point.
1: Right, okay. So they arrive on the crystal emblem, and uh, just teasing, just teasing.
2: (laughs) Very nicely done, young Chris, and congratulations to the rest of you. Now, Chris... If you wish to earn my help, you must do so with your wits. Uh, your friends, of course, may aid you. Oh, yes,
1: I can hear them too. Merlin says he can hear them. And they immediately go, oh, and then they start mm. waving at him. Very, very <laughs> lovely gesture. One thing, lads, Merlin says he can hear you, not that he can <laughs> see you. So there's actually not a lot of points in waving at him. If you just say, hi, you'll be very happy. Do you
0: know what? I've just looked up Roblox spawn point, and she's not entirely wrong. Oh right, okay. I'll send you a link.
1: Okay. Um, Google images. Oh yes, yes, there's a quite a powerful yeah. resemblance. Yeah. Yeah, I'll go along with that. Yeah, okay. It's from now on. It's the Roblox spawn point. <laughs> Two truths I seek from you and here is my first. It's riddles time again. What is the name of the bird that is reborn, reborn when it burns? Everybody knows the answers of on this one. It's a phoenix. I always think of the opening episode of the Box of Delights when I hear this riddle because you've got that scene fairly late on in the first episode when Cole Hollings, played by the greatest actor of all time, <laughs> Patrick Troughton, he opens the box, and projects an image of a phoenix in, fittingly enough, a log fire mm. just for Kay, because Kay's a bird lover. So <laughs> the Box of Delights is in some ways is almost a precursor to Nightmare both in terms of the magical storylines and the advanced television trickery by the yeah, standards I, yeah the time. I can
0: see that yeah. yeah and do you know the Box of Delights is currently on Britbox as well is it really oh somebody yes. told me that
1: earlier today now that you mentioned it I can't, I, I can't think of a fake and do you know what else you can watch on Britbox at the moment I've no
0: idea what you can watch episodes of Nightmare on Britbox
1: Nightmare I've heard yes. of that <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a weird show. Why can a shark never rest? It would drown. Yeah, we've got issues with this one, haven't we? Well it's sort of true, but uh, it's it's made to sound like it's invariably true, and it actually isn't.
0: There's like hundreds of different species of sharks and this affects a few of them.
1: Yeah, a lot of people think of sharks, they immediately think of jaws, but there's actually only a very small number of the shark population of the world, actually, is the same particular type Mm. as the one in jaws, the tiger shark. Wasn't it a great white? I don't think it was. The great white would actually be quite a bit larger than the one in jaws.
0: No, I think there were two, wasn't there? The tiger shark was the one that they caught originally, the one that people call jaws was a great white i swear oh
1: okay i think so anyway i'm not a fan of the jaws films so i don't watch them nearly enough to be able to remember i have seen jaws once
0: i am genuinely terrified of sharks proper full-on phobia my wife has a phobia of clowns so we did this thing where we kind of pushed each other she watched a clown film i had to watch a shark film blah 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 so we start off Killer clowns from out space and then I had to watch Deep Blue Sea, and then she had to watch the original It, and then I had to watch Jaws, and then we stopped doing it because I didn't sleep for three days.
1: You made your wife watch a clown film? That's grounds (laughs) for divorce. I tend to get very leery about shark, and it is because of watching Jaws as a kid. I never enjoyed watching them. There's something truly horrible about the combination of being eaten alive and being stuck on the water.
0: I always consult myself with the fact that you couldn't actually get eaten by a shark unless you got in the water. Yeah. So imagine my abject terror when I sat down and watched a certain Doctor Who Christmas special.
1: Russell T. Davis. <laughs> and the others are bastards. <laughs> was that the one with Catherine Jenkins in it? Because I it was after Russell uh, T. Davis. Yeah, I
0: think so. Yeah, it was, so it was after Russell so. T.
1: Davis left, that one. So we'll let him off mm. that one.
0: <laughs> My wife agreed to watch a couple of clown films, and I think I thought I don't think that the <laughs> whole thing was for me to make her watch a clown film. I think the <laughs> whole thing for me was to make her watch Killer Clowns from Outer Space.
1: Yeah, that because that film
0: fucking awful.
1: Yeah, just purely for a matter of taste and a matter of quality.
0: Yeah. What was that, dear? Yes, it is, <laughs>
1: and you <are. laughs> heard loud and clear. <laughs> <laughs> How do you react when you watch Batman films with the Joker almost always the arch-villain in them? How do you react to that? Which version? Heath Ledger? Fine. Find Heath Ledger. Okay, which one really frightens you?
0: She won't watch the um, Joaquin Phoenix Joaquin one.
1: Joaquin Phoenix one. Well, okay, that's uh, that one.
0: He was also the only one that was literally a clown. Yeah. Oh, Nightmare. All right,
1: okay. Um. Yes, Nightmare. Uh, yeah, so Sharks. Yeah. It was just, well, well, God, are we still on that?
0: Oh, hang on, hang on. Let's do a um, Six Degrees thing. Get from Nightmare to Batman 66.
1: Batman 66. Okay. Yes. Uh, let's what a think. Um, almost certainly the best uh, person to start with would be John Woodnut. You can connect into any number of, of different programs from there. Uh, John Woodnut appeared in Doctor Who, of course. who appeared in a few episodes of Doctor Who. Who else appeared in Doctor Who?
0: I will tell you that going by what I'm searching, John Woodnut has a number of two, and one of them isn't Doctor Who. Oh,
1: okay, uh who was also in Henry VIII. He played Henry VII for the Seventh in the Six Wives of Henry the Eighth in 1970. Who else was there? Patrick Trouton was also in that. Do you want to know what I've got here? Well, look, look, give me a chance. Give me a chance. Um, okay, okay. So Henry the VII... Seventh. Patrick Troughton. Of course, Troughton was also in Doctor Who.
0: But was John Wood not in Doctor Who with Patrick Troughton?
1: No. Also on Doctor Who was Michael Goth. He played the Celestial Toymaker, and he also played um, a Gallifreyan can't remember his name in the Ark of Infinity. And Michael Goff was, of course, in Batman 1989. Do you want to know what I've got here? Okay, go
0: on. John Woodnut was in Nightmare, yep. was also in Dragonheart A New Beginning with Anthony O'Donnell, who was in Santa Claus the Movie with Burgess Meredith.
1: Oh, and he played the who penguin. Was in of Batman 66. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Yes. Well, that's quite a short one, isn't it? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Hi there, listeners. We went off on like a 25 minute tangent here and most of it was just incoherent rambling so i'm gonna cut all that bit out and we're gonna pick it up around the point where we started making sense again
1: a sparrow with a machine gun <laughs> a
0: sparrow with a machine gun that's what he was doing
1: Oh, no get away from me sparrow of a machine gun yes 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 <laughs> Listeners, by all means if you can superimpose an image of a sparrow of a machine oh. gun as, a, as chris tries to fight it off with his unconventional arm movement
0: so anyway yes we so we said uh, um oh god we're shar- still on the shark. sharks, do sharks need- <laughs> Some sharks do need to be constantly swimming in order to keep oxygen-rich water flowing through their gills, but others use their pharynx to pump water through their respiratory system.
1: I've got some issues over the way they answered the question because the first two attempts answering it, they basically just restated the question in different words. It was that it would drown. They just about got it in, in time.
2: Good. You have done well. Now I may reward you. The spell I gift you is called flight. Oh, use it wisely. And use it once. Well, onward team. Okay,
5: okay Chris, Chris, walk forwards. Stop. Uh, side side step to your left. Stop. Walk forwards.
1: They arrive in a dwarf tunnel, Chris goes through the dwarf tunnel, and then the, this, the background noise that you normally get with the dwarf tunnels distorts and slows down, as
0: hmm. sort of
1: implying an engine suddenly going faulty and winding downwards. As if to signify the end of this current phase of the dungeon is near. What do you think it signifies?
0: I think it signifies that the end of the current phase of the dungeon is near.
4: Where am I?
5: You're in a room. There's a, some, a staircase in front of you and a door on the firewall wall to your right
0: hello listeners we know some of you like to watch along with us whilst you're listening to the podcast so before we go any further we just wanted to let you know there's a major epilepsy warning here from about now until the end of the program
1: The last time we're ever gonna see my beautiful level two blue room it's a good place for the first sort of epoch of nightmare to come to an end mm. in one of its most iconic uh chambers there's some objects on the altar and they guide Chris towards it, but he doesn't actually get a chance to examine them.
0: There's definitely some kind of gem and possibly a food item. So you were saying before that it looks like it was set up to continue at this point.
1: Yeah, I think they were just following the script and the script had demanded these objects be here so mm. they, they put them there but um, they then realised that uh, the time was up already just as they were getting the room started. Can you imagine? They probably had to spend about 25 minutes getting that set up and then just as they get set up, they arrive in there and suddenly everything's abandoned.
0: It occurs to me that what happens next didn't necessarily have to happen. The, the dialogue and the sounds and all that didn't necessarily have to happen in that
1: room. no not have to, no, but that's No, horrible. but
0: what I mean is they could have been recorded elsewhere, and all you would need is him standing in that room for a bit. You, you could even just use a still frame. Possibly, yeah. They could have gone on for a bit and then realized they weren't going to be able to fit everything in so they could go back to that scene and just overlay the sound effects and and the effects the visual effects
1: i think that's this is very much a case of something that probably occurs in hindsight they're not quite flying completely in the dark here because they did have the end of season suddenly being abandoning a quest in the middle of a quest at the end of the previous season as well but that real problem would not have been changed in any way. Um, it would still have the problem of anti-climax because hmm. uh, the season ends before the quest can.
0: But anyway, Chris gets to the altar, as we said, and before he has a chance to see the objects on it.
2: The extreme warning, everyone. That was the first blast. For time is turning and this age of the dungeon is approaching death. When the third blast sounds, the dungeon will disintegrate, only to reform for the next age. Hey, Chris. That was the second blast. Now all adventuring must cease while we rescue Chris and save him from destruction
1: got all the same effects as we had um, the previous year when the dungeon disintegrated but they've added some extra ones it's always the argument that less is more but i think on this occasion it was a good move when we had the lsd trip at the end of season two
0: which we do get here but there's more of a build up to it
1: it's not just that when you get the lsd trip all that phase tries to make you think that you can see the dungeon crumbling all it's actually doing it's just an Mm. lsd trip it's just just things changing color rapidly but they've added these other effects to the outside of it here including this rather a strange whirlpool vortex effect and that means that uh, it doesn't register with you quite as easily that things aren't actually disintegrating there's just enough going on everywhere that your attention is constantly moving around the screen and so the actual rooms themselves are in the background and so it just distracts you enough from the fact that actually everything is staying exactly as it was. So it mm. works better this time than it did it a year earlier, I think.
0: Yeah, and the sound design here is fantastic. The yeah. horn they use is terrifying for yeah. one thing. Along with the vortex they've got this, I think it's called a crash zoom or something where it zooms in really, like, really quickly, but with that there's also the sound of bricks falling or uh, a, a like a wall being knocked down
1: they had a fair bit of that in season two as well and it, um it, it, it works that worked about the same on about the same level yeah but um, it seems
0: more powerful here i think because of the visuals as well
1: i think they may have added some extra rumble to so the vortex effects you call it in your notes uh, the rather cool vortex effect they'd actually use it again at the end of season four that vortex effect so pickle would refer to it as a 180 degree phase shift as far as I can tell, that means that's a rather cool vortex effect, Master.
0: So I said before that it was like the best way I could think to describe it was the um, the ending of Evil Dead 2 or and the beginning of Army of Darkness. But I've had a, th- uh, a little think about it, and I, I brought back this memory of um, the Doctor Who game on the Amiga, the opening bit with the TARDIS and this vortex behind it. And uh, if you look it up, I think it's actually quite similar cast
2: you night. U-N-I-T-U. There, just in time. Now watch all of you for the final blast must sound.
0: As the spars literally begin to fly, Trayvark transports Chris back to the antechamber. He tells the team to watch as the final blast sounds and hopes beyond hope that none of them are epileptic. One by one we see iconic chambers dissolve into an LSD trip of destruction, the four door chamber, the level two clue room that Chris was only just standing in, and finally the lair of car. we
1: are all gone. All gone. Yes. And this time they really are all gone. Yes.
0: As the sound of the destruction echoes through the antechamber, Traegard issues his final farewell of the season. As for you, well I
2: suppose you were never in any real danger. But then you didn't answer the challenge, did you? Perhaps you'll find the courage and wits to do so next time. And when will that come? Who knows? But one thing is certain. When the time turns once more, and the fire burns as before and the gauntlet is held down then will the age of nightmare
1: be found it's very similar to how season two ended but the problem of anticlimax is the same as before i very much doubt that this team would have gone on one um even more so than i thought with karen's team at the end of season two But even so, it still feels terribly unfair that they never got a chance to try. It looks almost certain they would have got to level three because they got Mm. the spell from Merlin. But we're never going to know. But that was it. That was the end of the uh, still considered by most people to be the best ever season of Nightmare Season 3. Yes. What are our reflections?
0: I think we're in agreement, generally, that... When it comes to season three, the whole is definitely better than the sum of its parts.
1: Most definitely. Just reflecting on this team, um, at first, they're a little weak in terms of decision making, um, but their movement is okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, and given probably would have reached level 3 I think we can say they've overachieved here even though we never actually saw it happen they do seem a little bit dozy at times but there's um, a certain sense of fun about them waving at Merlin for instance you can never completely lose your temper with them one observation I want to make surrounding Treyguard a good way of gauging how much Treyguard has changed between seasons 2 and 3 is to compare his final send off in each season in terms of the way they're written they're very 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 similar scenes um, but he sounds so much less fear or urgent this time. He still comes across as very strange and, and very mysterious, but there's no real hint of fret from him anymore. And that definitely detracts the series edge from this point on. In terms of what we're talking about, season three, this is the first time I've watched it in about five or six years. And for the first time, I really noticed myself not enjoying a number of individual episodes, which wasn't really the case in season two. But I did find this one, there's a lot of episodes, especially earlier on, that are really quite meandering. And um, I have teams that are a bit slow and not terribly bright quite a few of them. That perhaps makes Season 3 seem rather more difficult than it genuinely was. It's often made a big deal of the fact that no team won in Season 3 and that indicates it must be the most difficult season. But it also has to be said that some of the teams actually were, if anything, weaker than some of their counterparts in Season 2. And there's a few episodes when you're really waiting for things to really get going. Any quest that reaches Level 3 does genuinely get going and in fact it gets going so well that you're more scared in Level 3 watching Season Season three, and you probably are watching any other stage of any other season but not many teams get there so you end up starting to get a little, little bit irritated
0: well it's different when you're looking at it through a critical eye yeah rather than just uh watching it to be entertained rather than
1: just, just watching it for fun yeah and
0: it's one thing that i genuinely was worried about when we started doing this podcast would i end up resenting nightmare because of it i think the answer is no so far, anyway.
1: <laughs> I don't think there's any danger of that, but there's a danger of it colouring your memories. If you go through one episode every couple of weeks, like we're doing, the episode is the only thing that's present in your memory for quite some time, and so the flaws in it are going to be quite a lot more noticeable. You don't move straight on to the next episode after you've watched the, the one that you're going to comment on.
0: Well, we never did that as kids either.
1: As kids, it doesn't matter, because when you're a kid, you're a lot more prone to fear than you are when, when you're in middle age. So, it's not going to have the same problem there anyway. Let's
0: move on to the best and worsts. for instance uh, what was your favourite team of the series
1: probably purely because of the name of course Martin's team I think they were the best team I find Yorkshire teams are often amongst <laughs> the um the ones who are least likely to be shy they're a bit smart mouth even though which is always good they have the odd brain freeze but overall they were probably the best side and I think they would easily without any hesitation I think they would have won if they'd been in season two
0: yeah I agreed they were one of the most entertaining teams they were one of the most brainy teams and it was only really that one riddle that let them down
1: I don't think the debate over whether it was fair will ever end
0: so yeah I would agree with that I would also say that Scott's team was good from a pure entertainment standpoint
1: Strictly from an entertainment transport. They weren't
0: the best team and I think Scott will agree to that He says that he feels that history has been kind on his team and part of that is because they did follow a really really dire team
1: That did help them Yeah,
0: yeah Part of it's based on the fact that Scott did actually come on the podcast and was an absolute delight to <laughs> talk to and uh, talk to us about some of the stuff that no one else had actually said to us like the fact that they actually died in the Lion's Head Chamber and we're given another chance. One of my favourite moments is when Scott gets his left and right mixed up and he walks into the wall and they add the sound effect. <laughs> That's brilliant. And of course, he's got one of the most famous deaths in nightmare history. That is
1: actually quite a gallant death and quite a spectacular one, really. I do think he would have made it. The moment when he sidesteps the wrong way and crashes into the wall. That is um, Nightmare's stormtrooper hitting the head moment. <laughs> yeah. He tells us he didn't actually walk into a wall. Well, would say that, wouldn't it? <laughs> exactly. Right, so, least favourite team? At the risk of sounding slightly sexist, there was an all-girls team. I tried to defend them a bit, but um, I think we have to say, they're not that bad, but they're still not a team you want to sit around the TV watching. Yeah,
0: I did re-evaluate my opinion on them, and I agreed that I was too harsh on them. Mm. I was it Kelly? Yeah, Emma and Sarah and Tammy, wasn't
1: it? Something like that. It's, it's, it's not the ones that were consumed by goblins in the level 2 uh, corridor. It was the other ones that got smashed up in the level one well room
0: oh yeah with the crayon and the yoga the
1: crayon thing yeah they were not a good team there wasn't an awful lot of personality to them either sorry girls
0: it's just the truth i still maintain that uh douglas's team is probably my worst team douglas richard
1: derek and matthew from western supermare we need to make this clear now that um it really is all change after this it's goodbye to all the wall monsters from here they would return in season five in the modified form of the blockers but those have even less personality and even more simplified role. We do get the Wailing Doors. You can call them Door Monsters but they're not War Monsters.
0: No but they've got a similar purpose.
1: It's also goodbye to all but one of the dungeon chambers from the first three years because from this point on they start using photographs instead of uh, hand drawn chambers for the most part. There's a few hand drawn chambers in, in level three in season four but apart from that it's largely photographic backgrounds.
0: Yeah there's a heavily modified version of the Vale of Mogdred used as the place of choice.
1: The Vale of Mogdred is sort merge with the Spin Dizzy to create the place of choice at the start of quests. But that is only the barest bones of what the original chambers were and um, heavily, heavily modified. No more catacomb bites after this. No. all the most spectacular monsters. There's no more stained glass window chamber. No more lion's head lasers. Pretty much all gone. There are clue rooms of a sort in season four, but they've got no resemblance at all to the ones we know. And the role of the wall monster in level one is actually taken up by a kind of dryad or tree troll it's uh, quite a leap in terms of visuals. I actually
0: quite like Oakley though
1: I like Oakley because he's got the same voice as me so I can uh, it's not very difficult <laughs> really to, when, when yeah. we're doing when we're cleaning him in an audio <laughs> play it's really it's really easy for me to do an impression of him and make it and mm. give the illusion of me be being talented <laughs> mould, Root and Fan there be a stranger in my glen.
0: Favourite new chamber in the series, then?
1: The third season. The Vale of Amburn was very good. I think in terms of actual puzzles, in terms of potential, the pool chamber was a very useful addition. They never actually completely explored the full potential of that. but They did come up with some clever things for it. The uh, dream caverns, or whatever we want to call them. The Death Valley Caves. They look very nice, although there's not a huge amount of...
0: Uh... Yeah, they never reached their
1: full potential, either. Yeah, not a huge amount going on in them if there aren't any goblins there. But they do look good, and they do give a sense of mystery to the later stages of level two. Merlin's throne Room, I think I preferred the Hmm. Hall of Folly, to be honest, to Merlin's throne Room.
0: Countdown from three, and I think we should both say our least favourite chamber. Three, two, one, Dice Dice Room. room. The first time I saw it, it was, like, spectacular. Wow, that looks fantastic. And then the very next time you saw it, you realise that it's gonna be the exact the same animation each time.
1: But also it's green. It's like a Yahtzee board. Yeah, but it's just green. I mean the Yahtzee <laughs> board actually has more detail on it because you've got the grids. This wait hang on hang on green. One moment. <laughs> you've got a green table on a green background. It's green. You got a white dice thank God I, I always despair at some point that somebody's gonna change it to a green dice. It's green. It's still green. Uh, it's green. Okay, it's green. Hang on. I mean, at least when you're playing Yachts, you get a nice cup with it, a nice little leather cup so you can shake the dice in. You don't even get that here. The dice is just on its own, and the table is all green on a green background. It's green. Okay, it's green. It's still green. It doesn't matter what you find from that book. It's still going to be green. Okay, it's green. It's still going to be What's green.
0: No, it's going to be green. Okay, it's going to be green. Yeah. But I'm, 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 I'm proving a point here. Right, so what I have here is a Dungeons & Dragons
1: dice tray. Right. Yeah? So not not from a yardstick. What colour is it? Black. <laughs> it's green! <laughs> it looks black on my screen. well right, it's starting to look green now. what's your point you haven't proven anything to me it's a giant
0: dice tray that's what it is that's what the room is it's a giant dice tray It's giant Dungeons and Dragons dice tray and this one's
1: green it's trying to resemble a casino but it's failing (laughs) because even in a casino not everything is green I don't
0: know why I'm arguing this I hate the dice room I hate it more because of you
1: why are you defending it I don't know (laughs) You're weird So, favourite characters New characters to, to, for yes. the season um, I'd say Hordris. Hordress, definitely Mrs Grimwald is in the conversation But we did start to find that she was starting to grate a little bit Towards the end of the season There was far more exploration of Hordress mm. And so you actually knew more about him
0: Well, that's the thing, you didn't And that's what made him so intriguing
1: Yeah, and it has to be said The more we find out about him later on <laughs> The more of a buffoon he becomes I think that's more to do with inconsistent writing Rather than uh, familiar breeding contempt. You learn there's different things about the way he behaves throughout the season apart from the scene where she tries to suss Scott, the map. Mrs Grimwald is basically just there to blood-curdling hints about Festus. Oh, and it
0: just occurred to me we're saying goodbye to Olaf.
1: Yes, we are. That's the point. We actually forgot Mm. to mention that earlier. I think it's more we're going to miss Tom Carroll than actually Olaf specifically. Hordress, Motley, Melisandre and Mr Grimwald are the characters introduced this season who are carried over into next year. Melon and Mogdred are also carried over for one more season although it's only one more season if you're a fan of John Woodnut, again it's the case of enjoying what he lasts because he gets rather less to do with the next season and then he's gone all together Morgana is not carried over because uh, Natasha Pope wasn't available she's not carried over but the costume is but the costume is and she's actually replaced by a more interesting and more complex sorceress in the shape of Malice
0: I do like that they don't recast the characters
1: mm, I agree with that I do find Malice a much more interesting character that's why she was the central character in one of the audio plays.
0: She's more fleshed out. Morgana is essentially a child, or at least childlike.
1: I think she's just a plot device, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> There's mm. so little exploration of her as a person that um, she's basically just the big bad at the end of the story.
0: It's kind of a shame because she does get the best kill.
1: And that is a shame. It's one of the greatest mm. all-time kills.
0: But what would you say was the worst kill of the series? What's your least favourite death?
1: I'm going to go with Cliffs, actually. Going back to something we complained about at the time, which is they just weren't listening to what the dungeon character. was saying to them. Their death feels harsh, yet also you find yourself thinking, can't you hear McGrew telling you to uncast the spell and he'll help you?
0: That's right, yeah. Cliff was the one who couldn't push the cart and so got killed by haunting.
1: Having basically handled the first two levels pretty well, there's a feeling that uh, you can't really tell whether this is the team being stupid or the production crew being ridiculously unfair on them. Um, The team that's... the modified lion's head chamber, the team that fell um that, that was a pretty stupid death. Not noticing that you need to move diagonally forward um, is pretty embarrassing.
0: I think that that scene is responsible for major misconception when people think back and they think about Nightmare. And you always get people, hey, remember Nightmare? And it's like, oh, yes, I remember that show. One team died in the very first room. I like, No, they didn't. But they did die in the first room of the episode, it wasn't the first room of their quest it was the first room of the episode and that death is responsible I think for that misconception. I know about that
1: urban myth. I, I actually don't think it's because of that. I think it's actually because of the thing we mentioned earlier about season four. That's a possibility with the guy falling off the place of choice, yeah. In um, fact, well it did fall off it really, let's be honest. Some people have actually remembered that as being an actual death moment. The very first nightmare website ever made on the internet, I can't remember the name of the guy who made it now, but he got comments on from visitors and one of them actually did the describe it as um, because that guy moved to America after season two he didn't get to see anything after season two originally and other people would tell him about some of the things that happened in later seasons and one of them was somebody actually said that um, one team actually just survived one room when they fell off the uh, the turning wheel as they called it in the Blades of Choice they're probably lucky that that didn't happen but it's not true I
0: think it's a good example of what they refer to as the Mandela effect
1: yes a lot of people end up remembering the same false memory
0: just to explain for people who don't know. There are people who got very confused when Nelson Mandela died because they had very vivid memories of him actually dying in prison.
1: And an awful lot of different people came to that same conclusion. There seems to be some kind of weird mass consciousness effect.
0: It's also known as the Berenstein Bears effect. Yes. One chamber we have neglected to mention isn't a new chamber as such, but a modified chamber. The Serpent's Mouth
1: Yes I'm afraid we're not going to be seeing that one either And that is a shame Because that is one of the all-time great nightmare locations
0: And it's also one of the best modifications of an existing chamber Yeah
1: They did work that one out very cleverly The whole environment of the quests is basically overhauled from here And even the way the programme is presented is now changed because Trayguard gets an assistant as of the start of season four so that he's got someone to explain the plot to for the benefit of the audience.
0: A very polarising addition. Yeah.
1: It has to be said it is a bit of a superfluous addition because the Trayguard already has to explain the plot to the teams.
0: I don't dislike Pickle. I agree that I don't think he was needed. I
1: wouldn't mind Pickle if he was another dungeon character. I will say that. The Great Hall is already crowded enough.
0: Okay, well this has actually been our longest episode for quite some time. We'll be taking a break for a few weeks to catch up on our academic work and so I can catch up on some editing. But whilst we do so, we'll be bringing you several interseason season specials, including the Nightmare Audio Series. And hopefully I'll finally finish editing the interview we did with Nightmare Creator Tim Child. So you guys have got that to look forward to. And believe me, it is an excellent interview.
1: Yeah. Uh, Just to say, um, the Nightmare Audio Series, it's not made by the Dunton players. I know an awful lot of the actors in both teams are actually the same people. But it's a different concept, the Nightmare Audio series. Done telling players, it's plays featuring characters from Nightmare. The Nightmare Audio series actually parodies the gameplay from Nightmare. And parody is very much the key word. And in the meantime, if you've done all that and you've listened to all the Nightmare Audio series, you can also follow us on Twitter. We're at NightmarePod. If you want to support the podcast, we're also Nightmare Pod on Patreon. Speaking of Patreon, here's a shout out to Keepers of the Book of Quests, Peter Polsford. David N. Rabbit, and our newest supporter, Paul McIntosh. Advisors Benjamin Bloom, Peter Sidon, David Thompson, and Stephen Whelan and Dungeoneer Peter Courage I hope that's the right way to pronounce Courage by the way I've never checked support us on Patreon
0: at Dungeoneer level or above to get your name mentioned in the podcast higher level perks also receive merchandise have access to exclusive episodes and if you pledge as a keeper a book of quests we'll even offer you the chance to be a guest on the podcast
1: our website is nightsmarepod.co.uk
0: and I keep forgetting to add this in so I'm going to put this in now if you're interested in using some of our jingles as ringtones they are a Available on the Zedge app. Just download the app on either Android or iPhone and search for Temporal
1: Discussion. If you're looking for other Temporal Discussion merchandise, including T-shirts, stickers, and other products, including... Uh, specially laced condoms with our logo right on the tip. It's at nightmarepods.redbubble.com. You might want to edit out part of that. So yeah, business. just the yeah.
0: idea of laced condoms. Um, they were all impl- the
1: rage in Blackadder's time.
0: It implies that you're actually putting a needle into a condom. That doesn't mm. sound like the best idea.
1: Well, we've learned the hard way, haven't we? <laughs> Literally.
0: You're leaving this bit in, aren't you? There was this old uh, TV advert talking about safe sex and uh, this bloke was showing off like this old style condom that he called geronimo
1: geronimo yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. they <it. laughs> call it geronimo it was like it was like i just don't
1: understand why young people today don't like using condoms
0: there was a line he said well i was it?
1: oh, it's like getting
0: in the bath with your socks on so, yeah.
1: <laughs> once again we're now in a position where whatever we say next is just gonna sound completely ridiculous
0: you can email us at podcast at nightmarepod.co.uk and just keep telling yourself it was only season three
1: wasn't it?
4: <laughs> it was like having a bath with your socks on.